First reading is from Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 to 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Saviour. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is 1 Thessalonians 3 um, to 9. Um, 9 to the end, 9 to 13, sorry. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord God make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. And lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I was, um, I was taking an assembly at uh, Manor Primary School um, earlier this week. Uh, the school has two assemblies. It has uh, they follow one after the other. The first one is for the younger years, the, the younger ages, and then the second one for the older children. And it was a sad day for me because um, I, I took with me my my uh, my puppet parrot, 
the Reverend Beaky, who's a parrot who wears a dog collar, who often has entertained the children in the past. And while he made all the younger set scream with laughter, he drew only a stony wall of silence from the older children. (laughs) The judgment was clear. The day of reckoning had come. Reverend Beaky is no longer cool. He can no longer stand in front of key stage two. Our gospel reading this morning... By the way, I'm sorry, for those of you who, who aren't used to the new arrangement, we now put the page numbers of the readings on the hymn boards if you want to follow along in your Bible. So those are the three readings in the same order, um, just in case you wondered what those numbers were doing up on, on the wall there. But um, in our gospel reading, which was the last reading on page 1056, um, Jesus, Jesus um, it finished with Jesus telling his disciples in verse 36 to be always on the watch and pray that they will be able to escape all that is about to happen and that they may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So a day of reckoning is going to come for us too, says Jesus. This is part of what Advent is all about. Today is the first Sunday of Advent in the Church of England calendar, and Advent means quite simply arrival. That's what the word means, arrival. And it has a twofold meaning for Christians because it reminds us in the run up to the anniversary that Christmas is that we will be celebrating God's arrival on earth in human form, in the birth of Jesus Christ. But it holds in tension with that the fact that Jesus has promised to return again. And that his future arrival is something that we have to think about and take seriously. The first passage we heard from Jeremiah, written hundreds of years before the life of Jesus, predicted among uh, predicted the coming of our, the the Lord, our righteous Savior. That's what it said. In, it says in the last verse of our passage, the, the Lord, our righteous Savior, who will be born of David's line, and of course. That was indeed fulfilled in the birth of Christ. Both Matthew and Luke's gospel are at pains to point out that Jesus was born into a family descended from King David's line. This is the first arrival that Advent reminds us of. But in the gospel reading, Jesus refers to a second coming. So let's turn to that. Having taught from the outset of his teaching ministry that the kingdom of God was being ushered into the world and that his miracles of healing and his deliverance were signs of the kingdom, he also spoke of a time when the kingdom would be finally realized in full, when he returned in glory. Verse 27 says, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the second arrival that Advent speaks about. And he warns them that they will need to be careful, verse 34, to be on the watch, verse 36, and ultimately that they will be able to stand before the Son of Man. What does that mean, stand before the Son of Man? Well, this is where I have to use what is a potentially worrying, and to some people it might seem a somewhat negative word, which is judgment. The clear message of Jesus and the understanding of Christians for 2,000 years down the ages is that there will be 
a second advent, a second arrival. And Jesus will return and that one of his duties is to judge the world. This is what Jesus means by the time when we will stand before the Son of Man. The picture, if you like, is of a person in court standing before the judge awaiting the verdict. All of us, whether we know Jesus or not, will stand before him when he returns, either while we are still alive, if he returns soon, or after we have died, if not. And that he will judge the world. And there are three things that I would like to say briefly about what the New Testament tells us about this. Firstly, it tells us that this is a certainty that we will stand before him. Secondly, it tells us that actually it's very good news. And thirdly, it tells us that knowing this sets us free. So let's look at each of those. Firstly, how can we be so certain that Jesus will return to finish his kingdom work? That we will stand before him? That we will be judged? After all, if God is the wonderful God of love that we know him to be. Surely, surely everyone will simply go to heaven in the end. When I was training at theological college, there was a heated discussion which broke out between a particular group of people that I was training with who, said, who, who, who basically held what are known as universalist views, which mean that they believed that everyone would end up in heaven. And those who believed that judgment means that some people would go to be with God forever and others would not. And it was, I'm sure it breaks out in every theological college, and it was a, a, a heated discussion. And I really struggled with this, with this whole question. On the one hand, the Bible appeared to talk about judgment, and yet how could a loving God consign anyone, however bad, to some kind of destruction or hell or whatever that means. And I remember I went to bed that night, but I couldn't sleep. And, and I got up again and I thought, you know, I've got, to, I've got to just sort this out. And I got my Bible out and I got out a notepad and I went through all four Gospels very carefully, one by one. And I noted down every time I came across a reference which either directly or indirectly but clearly implied that there would be a future judgment in which some people would go one way and some people would go another. And I went all the way through Matthew, I went all the way through Mark, I went all the way through Luke, and I went all the way through John. And I wrote down all of the scripture references, and I still have them in a folder in my office. And if anybody wants to borrow them at any time, you are welcome to. But what I found was that in those four Gospels, Jesus is recorded on no less than 57 occasions saying directly or indirectly that we will face judgment and that some will go one way and some will go another. 57 times. And I think it's important to remember that these four Gospel writers, well, two of them spent three years with Jesus... The other two were disciples of apostles who had met and known Jesus. There are no better qualified people to tell us what Jesus said on this subject. There simply aren't. And you know, however frightening it may seem, and however difficult it may be to understand exactly what this means, 
I got back into my bed, well, not early in the morning, quite late in the morning that day, and I was at peace because I knew that the question for me, at any rate, was resolved. Because I either had to simply ditch the New Testament pretty much completely and say I can't believe a word of it, or I had to accept that Jesus was absolutely clear on this very crucial point. It's why it's part of the Apostles' Creed that we say often on a Sunday. And we'll say it again in a few minutes' time. So that's the first thing. It's a certainty. It's an absolute certainty. But the second thing is that, having said that, it's also incredibly good news. Why is it good news? Well, firstly, it's quite good news that we can be sure about it. Because we can get on living our lives in that sure knowledge. Could you imagine what it would be like if we weren't sure about it? How would we live our lives if we didn't know whether or not there would be a future judgment? That would be the cruelest situation of all. Not knowing. Luckily, Jesus didn't leave any doubt about that. But the main reason it's good news is because of the person before whom we will stand. Every Sunday we read about this amazing person, Jesus, the Son of God, in our Gospel readings. The one who loved everyone he came into contact with. The one who forgave even those who shamed him on the cross. The one who healed those that no one else would even go near. The one who restored those tormented by evil spirits. Who took pity on the outcasts of society. Who stunned society by his compassion. Who welcomed people from from every walk of life. Who taught that love was the most important thing of all. Who demonstrated that love supremely when in the end he gave up his life on the cross of execution and he paid the penalty for all of the wrongdoing, the sin, our sin the Bible calls it, in our lives in order that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty ourselves. Isn't that the kind of person we would love to stand before? And do you see where that leaves us when we do stand before him? He's done it. It's all done. When we stand before him and acknowledge what he's done for us, there is no penalty left to pay because he paid it for us. On the cross, he won our freedom from sin and death and whatever the alternative is to eternal life with God. And the amazing good news is that we don't have to be good enough to get into God's kingdom. None of us are good enough for that. So many people, even Christians get hung up on whether a person is good enough, on whether they're good enough. Have I done enough good works? Have I been a good enough person to warrant God's approval? And please, I understand that this is deep stuff. Some people have been brought up in the past by parents who withheld their affection if they weren't good enough. And if that's the case, it can be a long, hard process to rid yourself of the idea that you have to earn your way into God's good books. Some of you here this morning, even though you've been going to church for a long time, will still find it difficult to shrug off the notion that you have to be a nice enough or a good enough person to warrant God's approval. But the New Testament is clear on this. In fact, 
Why don't we just turn, take your, take your Bibles, just turn to a page 1063. It's the first chapter of John's Gospel. It's not one of our three Bible readings, but just turn to the first chapter of John. And we're going to look at, it's on page 1063. We're going to look at verse 12. And John's de- describing our position in Christ, if you like. He says, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to all who did receive Jesus, not to those who were good enough, not to those who had done enough good works, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He doesn't say to all who were good enough. The qualification is those who received him, those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. That is all we have to do, to receive Jesus, to believe in what he has done for us on the cross, to become, just like those first disciples, Jesus' followers. And then we become children of God and enter into his kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, isn't that such good news? And finally, that good news means that we can live with that knowledge. We can live in real freedom. You know, the world would want us to chase after false gods, to have enough money, to wear the right clothes, to have the the right body image, to have the right friends, to drive the right car, to achieve the right career path, to eat the right foods, to know the right people, to support the right team. And it goes on and on and on. But it's all rubbish. It's all chasing after the wind in the end. I used to chase after many of those things, and and I'm still tempted to. But it's not God's way. God has made a way for us in Jesus to know that we are forgiven and loved children of God. And that we'll be able to stand before Jesus with our heads lifted up as it said in our gospel reading, with our heads lifted up, because it's not about how good we are, it's about how good he is, because of what he's done for us. Kirsty and I have a friend who was brought up with a wrong notion of God. She was taught by, I think, some misguided people about a God who judged and punished and it seemed would never be satisfied with her. She could never be good enough. When she developed um, a habit of binge eating to cope with her sense of worthlessness, she only felt more condemned. And about eight years ago, she came on an Alpha course and she learned about a God who had arrived on earth on a rescue mission to save and free people like her from the kind of bondage which she was experiencing. A God who said, I love you for just for who you are. She embraced Jesus and her life was transformed. If you, if you ever wanted a clearer picture of salvation in a person, then it was her. Today, um, she is helping other people to find that same faith, that, that same joy and, and love of knowing God and what he's done for us. And that we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to reach a certain height um, in order for, to earn God's approval. 
Advent is a time when we anticipate his arrival, his first arrival at that very first Christmas in Bethlehem, and it's a time when we look forward to his second arrival, when he will restore his creation. He will judge the world and he will gather his children into the fully realized, healed and restored kingdom of God. Amen.